Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews, and we will be probably for the next 30 weeks. And um, we're going to be taking verse by verse or chunks of verses at a time, going through exegeting, expositing Scripture. Um, Hebrews is such a rich book that, that draws our attention to Jesus and who He is, that, that Jesus is greater than all others. Jesus is greater than all comers. Jesus is greater than all alternatives. And, and He's worthy of our faith. And so we're going to find in Hebrews 4 this morning God's fresh words to us. Let's read together. Hebrews 4, 1-11. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands... Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken on this, of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already, already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day. Later on, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word which is, admonishes us, which calls us to, to turn away from unbelief. But God, thank you that your word doesn't just call us to turn away. You call us to turn to You, the all-sufficient One. God, You call us to turn to You to, to rest from putting trust in our works and to put trust in Your works alone. You call us to turn to You, the, the only One who is all-wise, all-loving, all-knowing, all-sufficient, all self-sustaining. God, we can fool ourselves to thinking we're self-sufficient. But God, only you are. And thank you for this call from Scripture to find our all, our sufficiency, our place of rest and trust in you. Father, I pray that you would help me as I speak and you would help all who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we go further in the, in the message, do something a little bit unusual, I'm going to share a video with you that I think will help, help us relate really to to where a lot of us can be at times. So if you want to go ahead, Katie, and, and hit play on that. Sometimes this life can feel like it's been one of those days, can it? Sometimes we can find it hard to believe in God. At times we can feel like we've forgotten how to pray, and it's hard to believe the truth. See, the book of Hebrews is written to people just like that. The book of Hebrews is written to people just like you and me. In the reality of life, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we feel like we're self-sufficient. We pretend we're self-sufficient. We, we forget we need God. We, we forget we rely on God. And we think it depends on us to hold on to Him. And as the song said we just, that we just showed, faith might mean there won't be answers and hope might mean enduring through the night. But we have to remember that in those times of darkness, in those times of doubt, in trial and in pain and in suffering, just like the trial, pain, and suffering that people in the book of Hebrews were facing, just like the trials, pain, suffering that you face, that I face, the difficulties we face, in the midst of that, we must not forget the great message of hope. That's what Hebrews is given to us for. 
is to remind us that there's hope. There's hope not found in ourselves, not in our ability to cling to Him, but in His ability as the greatest prophet, priest, and king to keep us, to sustain us. And that's what our faith is in. Our faith's not in our faith even. Our faith is in Him. Our faith is in our great high priest. Last week we looked at Hebrews 3, 16 and 19, and there was quite a stern warning in those passages. It was a story of how the very people who heard God's voice, the people who saw God's miracles, they saw God's mighty works in Egypt. They had God deliver them from bondage, from slavery. God brought them out, planning and purposing to bring them into his place of promised rest. But these very people, they rebelled. And they fell in the wilderness. They sinned against God through their unbelief. And they, because of their unbelief, they weren't able to enter into God's rest. It was, a, it was a grim picture to some degree. Instead, the entire generation who left Egypt, their bodies, it said, fell in the wilderness. Instead of rest, they found death in the wilderness. And it's an extreme contrast, a wilderness that's littered with the bodies of those who didn't trust God versus entering into his rest. And we're given that, that wake-up call, that wake-up call to hold on, to guard the good deposit, to, to be careful, to exhort one another, to encourage one another while it's still called today, to encourage one another not to lose faith because we're all tempted. Even when we know better, we're tempted and there's subtle temptations too. Subtle temptations to forget that we need God and just go throughout the week without focusing on Him, without, without going to Him and His Word, without praying. And you realize that your heart starts to feel far from Him and you can feel like you're slipping away. And we're called to guard against that unbelief. Why? Because there's a great promise for us. There's a great promise. And we have a great promise of entering into God's rest. Isn't that amazing? God has rest. And he calls us to enter into his rest. It's with that context of the previous verses in mind that the author of Hebrews and really the Holy Spirit wants us to be diligent. He's calling each and every one of us to be diligent, to strive, to strive. And really the main point of the passage this morning is to make every effort. Make every effort, not... Make a little bit of effort. Make effort once in a while. Make effort haphazardly when you remember, but make every effort. Make every effort to enter into God's rest. You see, we're prone to wander. Like the song says, prone to wander how I feel it. This is ultimately meant to be an encouraging passage and a hope-giving passage for us this morning because it reminds us of something. It reminds us there's a place of rest that does not depend upon us. There's a place of rest that God has prepared for His people and that we can enter into His rest. And isn't that good news for us? There's a place that God has, a place of God's rest. It doesn't depend on us. And, and He calls us to enter into it because He wants us to. So we actually can, and He'll enable us to enter into it. So even as God gives us this command to make every effort to strive to enter into His rest, the good news is He's saying that because we're able to. We're able to enter into His rest. Before the author encourages us, though, you, know, you might notice in the very first per- verse of this passage, it begins with a warning. The ESV puts it in a little bit different word order in order to, to make it easier to read, but... In the New American Standard Bible, it, it more captures the more literal emphasis that the, the original language of the Greek said. And it, and it begins really with, with fear. And so in the New American Standard, it says, therefore, let us fear. So wait a minute. The Bible's encouraging me to fear? That doesn't seem to make sense. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, lest any one of you seem to have come short of it. These, these verses you see are tied to the earlier passage, the previous chapter, and the author, he's reporting, repeating his warning to be on guard against unbelief. And that's something that we need to constantly be on guard against. That's why Paul could tell us to, to put on the full armor of God. You ever think about the armor of God? It's the, the helmet of salvation reminding yourself 
of where your salvation comes from. The breastplate, not of your righteousness, but of, of his righteousness. So you have to continually remind yourself of. That shield, not of your faith, but faith in him that guards us. And so often we're prone to believe what's not true and we need to put on the belt of truth. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word. And we have our feet constantly, every step we take, guarded by the, the being prepared with the gospel of peace. Taking every step in the gospel, putting on the full armor of God, guarding. This is a theme throughout scripture. It's not anything new. And really the first point the author is making these two verses the first two verses that we should fear failing to reach God's place of rest. We should fear, the first point, we should fear failing to reach God's place of rest. You might be thinking, wait a minute, you're telling us the Bible says to fear. I thought we're supposed to have faith. And that is true. Hebrews is a call. Hebrews is a clarion call to faith in Jesus Christ, the great prophet the greatest high priest, the greatest king of all who is over all, were called in the very opening passage of Hebrews to have faith in the message we've received because it comes from a greater king, a greater prophet. And so we can have faith in the greater message that we've received. And we're called to have faith, but at the same time, he's saying fear unbelief. Because why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without Without trusting in God, we won't enter into his place of rest. The conclusion of the author of Hebrews is that since a whole generation of people, remember last week, since a whole generation of people, they failed to enter God's rest, they died in the wilderness. If they, those who saw God's mighty acts, if they failed in unbelief, we should fear lest we enter into unbelief. But yet God presents the same opportunity. Here's the wonderful thing. In the midst of saying, fear unbelief. Why? Because there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity. God, God says there's a promise that still stands. What does that mean? It's still available. It still is remaining for each and every one of us. You ever feel like you're not resting? Maybe your life's in turmoil. Maybe you don't know what the future holds. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe you don't know what tomorrow holds. Maybe you don't know where you're going to work next or where you're going to sleep tomorrow night or where you're going to eat. or You don't know what your relationships might hold. Maybe you're challenged with uncertainties in life. There's a promise that God has for us. And he holds out his rest and he says, I, I still have a place of rest for you. You may have forgotten, but, but look. Fear and belief because it's keeping you from me. That's why. It's good news because if, if we're honest, we all have to admit that we want to find a place of true rest. But there's a danger that the author of Hebrews is trying to warn us against. He's, he's trying to warn us against the danger of missing the opportunity that God offers to us. You know, I've got five children and I, and I love them very much. And I want to protect them. I want to keep them safe. I want to keep them from harm and I don't want them to live in fear. I don't want them to be cowering and fearful children. I don't want them to be, on the contrary, I, I constantly try to encourage them to be strong and courageous in the Lord, to trust in God. You don't have to be fearful. At the same time, though, I do want them to be afraid of some things. I want them to be afraid of running out into the street in the middle of traffic. That's a good thing. It keeps them safe. When I was younger, my parents instilled that fear in me, but I crossed the street and got hit by a car anyway. <laughs> There are real dangers. There are real dangers that the traffic poses to my children. I want them to stay away from the street so that they aren't run over by a car or worse. I've told them they're only allowed to cross the street with Julie or I, a responsible babysitter. I've even told my kids about the time that I was hit by the car and flew up in the air and broke things. And, and I do that not to freak them out, but because I love them, because I have a motivation to keep them from harm, to keep them safe. So they'll go away from the street. I want them to go away from the street where it's not safe. Why? So they can be in the place of rest in the yard, so they can enjoy playing there freely and uninhibited, uninhibited in any way. Well, except for hitting them each other, but that's, that's, another, that's another message altogether. So, 
Most of the time, my kids, here's the point, most of the time they don't, they don't think about the street. They're not fearful. They're not like, they go in the yard. Oh no, there's the street. <gasps> We're in the yard. The street's there. We're fear. No, that's, that's not how it's supposed to function. They just stay away from it. They stay away from it. They aren't fearful of the street when they're playing in the yard. And most of the time, there isn't a temptation to go into the street for them even. Maybe unless their ball or the airplane or whatever it is they're playing with, it goes in the street or if one of their friends is in the street and is calling them there. But when they get near the street, I, I hope they experience something. I hope they experience an uneasiness. I want them to have a fear of the street when they get close to it. That will keep them from danger and send them running back into the yard again. So they can play or, or get one of us to fetch the ball for them and and really, this is the kind of fear that we're being encouraged to this morning. We're, the author of Hebrews is saying, he don't want you to live in a constant state of losing your salvation, in a state of constant fear. You know what he's saying is, fear unbelief. Why? Because I want you to enter into God's rest. I want you to experience God's goodness. The place he has prepared for you. That's a good place. So fear unbelief. Don't go near it. If you're getting near it, be uneasy. Be on guard. Watch out, and by the way, have other people around you so they can tell you you're getting near to the street of unbelief. And there's a Mack truck coming down that road. We need each other. We need to stay away from the place of unbelief. So it begs the question, though, if God's talking so much about rest, what is this place of rest? What's the place of rest that he's talking about in the Scripture? It's not the idea. I'm not talking about the idea of not doing anything and sleeping all the time. You know, some of us at various points in time can be tempted just want to not wake up, just just go to sleep. Life is hard. But that's a misplaced desire. It's a misplaced desire that some of us want at times, even though what's really behind even that desire is to find rest. But we're deluded into thinking we can find that rest somewhere apart from God. Maybe it's just from the world going away, from just shutting down, just going to sleep and having it all be done with. But that's not how we find rest. The reality is that everybody in this room, I'm convinced. Why? Because Scripture tells us that we all want something. We all want things. We all want to find rest in some way. We all, we all need to find rest in some way. See, God made us finite. God made us insufficient. God made us weak. He made us dependent creatures. He made us even need sleep. Why? They're all reminders that we need to find rest. And they're meant ultimately to point us to the fact that we need to find rest not in ourselves. Because you'll realize if you've tried all the things you can look for rest in, none of them seem to fix it. None of them seem to satisfy. And all those things are meant to be a daily constant reminder to us. You need rest in me. You need rest in me. You need rest in God. Everyone looks for rest in their own way, sometime, somewhere, in something or in some place. Doesn't matter if you are rich. You might think if you're poor, if I was only rich, I wouldn't need that. No, that's not true. Doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're weak, if you're wise, if you're foolish, or if you're clueless. No matter what the color of our skin might be. No matter what our education is or our lack thereof. We all want to find rest and we all look for it in different ways. We're all tempted to look for it apart from God. Some of us, some of us, and I would say at different times, all of us really, look to find rest in one of these ways. Maybe through entertainment. Maybe through sports or distractions like games or playing. All those are potentially good endeavors. I don't, I don't want to draw this false dichotomy, but we won't find any true rest in them. At times, I can want to find personally... <laughs> True rest in vacations. Anybody want to do that? You, want to, you ever look for just, can I just get some rest? I just want a vacation. That's what, that'll fix it all. If I can only, you know, Calgon, take me away. It was a commercial from the 80s, sorry. If you're born after 1970 something, you won't get that. So you just want to get away. You want time off. All those things, they can be helpful and they can be good for us to recharge our batteries. But if we're ultimately looking for time off to satisfy, we're going to get frustrated if it doesn't go our way. And, and you know what? I find that often on vacation, I, I find myself in the same trap. I'm more frustrated on vacation because I'm not really getting the rest I'm really looking for. Things don't go my way. 
Not everyone bowed down to worship me that morning. I don't understand it. You know, I, I, I recall so many times I've made an idol of vacation and expecting it to leave me satisfied and feel rested and then get frustrated when it doesn't pay off like I think it will. I don't want to say that those things are wrong. They're not. Those are all good blessings from God. But those things are all point us to the fact that we need rest outside of ourselves. We need rest trusting in God. And, you know, some people try to find a place of rest. Maybe this is you in your work. You want to get away from life's problems or maybe a bad home life or bad relationships. You focus solely on work and the satisfaction that achievement brings. But that's fleeting and no rest is found there, is it? The bad relationship doesn't fix itself. Problems don't go away no matter how much we ignore them. We can try to find rest by ignoring problems and not thinking about it, not talking about it. Maybe not talking to our relatives because if we don't talk to them, maybe we won't have to remember that it's really a pain. (laughs) Sorry, it's true. You might try to find rest through the pursuit of riches. I've been tempted this way before. Maybe you can, you're thinking, maybe if I just win lots of money, then everything will be okay. If I win the lottery and buy four houses and a boathouse and... I do different things, and then I'll enter into a place of rest and everything will be cool. You ever had those thoughts before? If you haven't, I'd, then you probably are way more holy than me. Maybe that's all I'll say. I just uh, we, Maybe you, you look for rest in a relationship. Maybe you look for rest in marriage or in having children or in deep friendships or through meaningful fellowship. All those good gifts from God, but never meant to satisfy our longing for rest in Him. We're never promised rest in relationships with other people. Ouch. Some look for rest in position or in influence, thinking that if only I could have this position or that role, then life would be good. And other people, they look for rest through sex or gratification or or food, or using various kinds of lust to try to find fulfillment and rest there. But that's so empty, like, like making a meal of cotton candy. You take a bite and it's just gone. It doesn't bring any value to you. Some people try to escape through drugs or alcohol, some other means to ignore the pain or dull the pain, or just pretend you're happy in yourself. But no one finds rest in any of those things. We're never meant to. We're meant to find rest in God. We'll find no rest for our weary souls outside of Christ. That's why we should fear unbelief. Fear unbelief. Because unbelief will lead you to to thinking, to believing that you will find rest outside of God. Unbelief will lead you to self-sufficiency that you can think, I can do it on my own. I don't really need God. And God's saying, no, you really do. That's a dangerous place to be. Enter into my rest. This is what's best for you. Not all these other false beliefs, which is unbelief in God. Life is full of troubles and and burdens that are too hard for us to bear on our own, isn't it? Apart from believing God by faith, The struggles, the worries, the hardships, the pain, the suffering of life, it's going to be too much for us. It was meant to be too much for us on our own. We mentioned last week that that the author of Hebrews, he was quoting Psalm 95. You remember that he's quoting Psalm 95. And the the psalmist originally wrote these words in in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 as well. And, And he wrote these words originally encouraging the people then to enjoy God's rest. And, and, and really, this is what's meant to be a source of encouragement for us, is a motivation for us to endure, is that rest exists for us. But the question for each and every one of us, and the question for you, for me, is have you entered into that place of rest? And if you have entered into the place of rest, are you being diligent to guard against all false beliefs 
Are you being diligent to stay, to remain? Are you being diligent to stay there? Verse 1 tells us the fearful thing if we don't enter rest. God's rest, it's really fully completed, finally completed on on the last day. For those who've heard the warning and respond with trust in life and the, the death of Jesus on our behalf. But it's a fearful thing. Why? Because if you've not entered into that place of rest, the alternative is experiencing the wrath of God when you die, or when He returns, whichever comes first. We have, though, what this verse is telling us is we have the same good news. We have the same good news that, of rest that the Israelites had, but the message, it didn't benefit them. Why did it not benefit them? Because they had not been united in faith. So we're called to strive to enter his rest. Rest from our works. We don't fall in unbelief. We need to fear unbelief. Not, fear not trusting in God alone. In verse 2, look down in your Bibles for a minute. Verse 2, it reiterates this by comparing the Israelites to the believers of the Hebrews' day. It says, for the good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The author explains that the people of Israel, they received the same good news. Hang on, wait a minute. They didn't have the gospel preached to them, did they? Well, in a, in, a, in a way they did. They had the good news of God's promises preached to them. Even though they didn't understand that they came, all those promises of God, they come to us through Jesus. They didn't know that yet, but they, they had the good news of God's promises. They had the good news that a place of rest is here for, for all who come to God on His terms. They had all the information they needed to trust God, that He had made a way for them to enter into the land of Canaan, that He had promised them to do exactly what he said he would do. But the problem is, the people, they didn't have the kind of belief that rested on God, that relied on God, that trusted God for for what he said he would do. They failed to trust in God, even though he had demonstrated countless ways. That he was worthy of the trust. And, and isn't that true for us? God has demonstrated countless ways that he's worthy of our trust. He's given us the entire Old Testament. But not only the Old Testament. If you're a believer in Christ, you know because he's delivered you from bondage. He's delivered you from slavery. He's delivered you from sin. He's given us countless reasons to believe in him. So let's hear the warning in fear and belief. But... Really, this, there's a second point here that we're, we're encouraged by. And, and the second point that we're being encouraged by these verses is, it's really in verses 4 through 8, God is telling us that He's prepared a place of rest for His people. God has prepared a place of rest for His people. No, notice the logic that He walks through in these verses. It's not easy to catch, but it's, it's straightforward. He says that God has a rest that began at creation and Canaan wasn't the final place of rest because Joshua didn't bring, bring them into a final place of rest. And because we know this is true because David, so many years, hundreds of years after Canaan, David spoke of entering God's rest today, years after the, even the Sabbath command and the Israelites entered into the promised land. And so what he's saying is because God talked about a place of rest in Genesis... Then in Moses, he gives the command to rest in him in the Sabbath. And then he, he, he brings the Israelites into a promised land of rest. But yet, hundreds of years later, he tells David today, he tells the psalmist today, if you'll hear my voice, don't harden your hearts, enter into his rest. So what he's saying is that there is a, a, a type, there's a pattern throughout Scripture that obviously... It was not completed in the land of Canaan because if it was, God wouldn't have spoken to David saying today. And so the author of Hebrews is saying today. And so the Holy Spirit says to us today, God has prepared a place for you and for me today. Maybe you find you've not been resting in God. Maybe you find you don't feel like you're resting in God now. Here's the good news. God has prepared a place of rest for you. 
when we go on vacation, I like to make sure I have somewhere to sleep. It's kind of a crazy idea. I'm kind of funny that way. I know I like to know that I have a place to rest when I arrive, and and I want to know that every night after our day's activities, I have a we have a place to go. With five kids, especially and a wife, it's all the more important. When you're single, you can kind of just take a tent and figure out maybe I'll sleep somewhere. You can't really do that very well with five kids. So I, I, I prepare, and I like to make sure that we have a place of rest prepared for when we arrive. And so I prepare ahead of time. I like to confirm our plans in advance. I like to make sure we're staying at somewhere convenient, hopefully affordable, hopefully safe, where the family can be comfortable enough to relax and enjoy the time together. But the reality is my kids probably don't give a second thought to it. Actually, I know they don't. <laughs> They've never said, Dad, by the way, on vacation that we're going on in a few weeks, but where, um, are you sure we have a place to stay? They've never done that. They, they might do that at some point in time, but they've never done that. They, they know. They trust. They know that I've made arrangements, and then they just go with the flow. Thankfully, they're, they're even grateful when we go to places that really aren't as nice as I would like, and they haven't complained about a place yet. They see each place is really an adventure, and they, they want to go on that adventure. So they think it's really cool when they can find pets in the hotel room <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> That really shouldn't be there. Um, <laughs> that hasn't happened a lot, but <laughs> but it happens sometimes. Um, <laughs> the The author is is paying attention to the storyline of the Bible, just like my kids know me. They know my character. They trust me, and so they trust I have prepared a place for them. What he's saying is, we're meant to see the patterns in the Bible. We're meant to see God's character. We're meant to see what he says and does over time. And the author, he's paying attention to the whole storyline of the Bible. You see, he was, he was reading Psalm 95, and really this passage is him exegeting, unpacking, preaching to us from Psalm 95. And, and he's paying attention when, to each and every one of the words, and he unpacks all the words. And remember last week, he was really hammering, Today! You say, why did David say today? Because wasn't it a long time ago when they entered unbelief? And yet David still says today and ongoing today. So if that ongoing today was still true in David's time, hundreds of years later, it's still true for us today. And then what he's drawing attention to as well is that there's a, a little word in our passage. In several places in our passage, there's one little word here. In verse 5, look in verse 5 for a moment. He says again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter... Here's the word he's going to focus on. My. He won't enter my rest. And so he, he, he's seeing that and he's amazed and he's saying, wait a minute. God has a rest? God has a rest? What is this place of rest that God has? And so he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And if you remember reading the creation accounts, and after each day of creation, day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, at the end of each day of creation, what what did, what did it say at the end of every day? Do you remember? It says there was, there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening there was morning the second day. There was evening and morning the third day, fourth day. There was evening and morning the, the sixth day. But oddly enough, on the seventh day, it doesn't say that. Genesis 2, 2 says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. What is my rest he's talking about? Oh, wait a minute. The author of Hebrews is going from Psalms all the way back to Genesis, saying, oh, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And notice there's no pattern here saying morning and evening, evening and morning. And so what he's saying really is that, in a sense, the seventh day has never ended. This period of rest, this period of God resting from all the work He's done in creation, this rest that God ordained on the seventh day, this rest still remains for us. Yeah, the seventh day physically ended, but in, in a sense, it's an ongoing day. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that when God rested from His works, then 
He intended for mankind to enter into his rest originally. But what happened? We fell away. And how do we fall away into unbelief? What was, what was the, really the first sin? Adam and Eve, what did they do? They, they did not believe that what God said was true was really true. And so they fell away because of unbelief. Oh, so the author of Hebrews is making some connections throughout Scripture, isn't he? He's seeing some things that the Bible is not this haphazard thing. There's patterns and types that God intends for us to learn from. So not only does Genesis 2 bear witness to the ongoing nature of God's rest, the author of Hebrews says we saw it in Genesis. Oh, and by the way, he was probably aware of the fact that Moses... God gave to Moses the Sabbath commandment. And what were they supposed to do on the Sabbath? They were supposed to rest as a pattern following in the footsteps of God because God originally intended for mankind to rest from our own works. And he's saying, okay, so wait a minute. There's this ongoing rest and it must be ongoing. Why must it be ongoing? Because, well, hundreds of years later, centuries later after, after Genesis, hundreds and hundreds of years later, then you have... Then you have the Mosaic Law and the Sabbath rest. Well, that that didn't satisfy. And then you have Joshua bringing God's people into a place of rest. And in some sense, they found a place of rest, but not really fully. They still had enemies all around them. And then in another sense, even David, he he brought some rest through military conquest. They they rested from all the enemies around them. It was the first period where they really kind of had that kind of rest. But he's saying, but, that, but that's still not completed because in Psalm 95, he's seeing these patterns all throughout the Old Testament. He says, must be this ongoing rest that God's talking about. So if there's an ongoing arrest, there must be a rest that remains for us. Because in Psalm 95, he says, my rest. Today, there's my rest to enter into. Today, we, we can enter into God's rest. He's prepared a place of rest for us. Look, look down at verse 6. It's, it says, really it's clear. It says, therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. It, it's clear that although a whole generation died in the wilderness, some did enter into God's rest and, and it remains for some to enter it still. That's what he's saying. It remains for you and I. We can enter into rest. Isn't that good news? Isn't that encouragement to weary, heavy-laden souls? If you're honest, there's not a week or a month that goes by when you're not tempted to unbelief or trusting in something other than God. You're not tempted to feel weighed down by the cares of life. So in verse 7, he's saying that since God appointed a certain day as today, way back when David wrote, there must have been something more God was talking about when he spoke of his rest in creation and entering his rest in the promised land. Look in verse 8. Here's the cool thing in verse 8, by the way. Something neat to notice, by the way. Joshua, his, his name is, is Yeshua in, in, in Hebrew. It says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And then he says, it has to be true because, because Joshua has given them rest. Had he given them rest, then God would not have still spoken of entering into his rest, Right? You're getting the logic he's walking us through? So it's clear from the whole context of Scripture that God's played a, prepared a place for you and I to enter into. He's not just given us the warning of the street. He's given us all the joys of His place. He's given us the joys in, of His promises, of living today in light of His promises, living today in light of His greatness and His goodness, not resting in ourselves, but resting in His finished works. So although some Israelites didn't enter into, and although you may feel this morning, you may have come in, and when you saw that video, you may feel like, I feel like I'm slipping away. You may feel like you can't enter into God's rest because of seemingly overwhelming or confusing or difficult circumstances in life. Here's the good news, and it's really the third point that we're going to draw attention to from this passage is that we can we can enter into God's rest fear unbelief that keeps us from God's rest because God's prepared a place of rest and the good news is why all these things why because we can he'll enable us to enter into the place of rest 
Even in the exhortation to fear and belief in verse 1, there's a promise given. It says, the promise of entering his rest still stands. It still stands. It still stands for you who have broken relationships. It still stands for you who have job uncertainties. It still stands for you who don't know where your next paycheck's coming from. It still stands for you who have unmet expectations. It still stands for you who have difficulties and suffering and trials and hardship and loss and death. It still stands for you and for me. And then he explains that we who have believed, in verse 3, have entered already into God's ongoing rest, and then we're, we're going to fully enter into his rest when either he returns or we die. And he's still using the warning of verse 95 to show that God's rest still remains. And so he unfolds the nature and the content of the promise of rest. But there's some nagging questions that might remain for you still. And what does he mean about God's rest? And, and, and when and how does entering into it take place? If you ever read back in Deuteronomy 12 or not, but he gives a promise to the Israelites that, that he would give them the land of Canaan as an inheritance. He'd give them this promised land as an inheritance and that he would give them, he says, I'll give you rest from your enemies around so that you will live in safety. Then later, Solomon, he ushers in a new era, a new time of peace and rest from the enemies. He builds this great temple where the Ark of the Covenant rested, where God's presence rested among them. After the Mosaic Law, resting on the Sabbath, it was commanded. And and that was linked back to creation, the deliverance from slavery and atonement. All of these things, Hebrews 2 told us, they're fulfilled in Christ. You know, the Greek word that we have translated as as rest here, it's it's also used 12 other times in the book of Hebrews. And and normally, in, in the Septuagint translation, which the author of Hebrews is using as he's writing, normally... It really refers a resting place. So rest is not some ethereal thing. Rest is a place. So what is this resting place? The Bible is telling us this resting place is not a physical thing. It's ultimately the place where God is. It's, it's found in Him. This place where we can be secure and kept safe from all of life's troubles and problems. It doesn't mean we won't experience difficulties. It doesn't mean you won't experience loss. It doesn't mean you won't experience dark nights of your soul. But it does mean that there's a place, despite all those things, that we can go. Under the shelter of His wings, under the shadow of the Almighty, we can experience rest in that place. Finally, it's heaven, of course, but here and now we go into a place of rest as we come to put our faith in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. As we stop trying to atone for our sins. Stop trying to feel guilty enough for our sins. Because that won't ever that won't ever make it go away. We stop trying to add to Jesus' righteousness by trying to earn his favor. We stop pretending that we're self sufficient. You know, I, I really have the struggle when I say, you know, I'm being self sufficient right now and I'm thinking, uh, no you're not actually. Um, this is really the antithesis of self sufficiency that you're telling me. But we pretend, don't we? We pretend at times, we think, we kid ourselves into thinking we're self-sufficient. And that's, that's a place we need to fear. And instead, we enter into God's rest by saying, God, I do need you. And that's where my soul is satisfied. My soul is satisfied in you alone. Now, the author here, he's not belaboring the point of that passage in Psalm 95 but he's wanting us to see that we have a place of rest. And so in verse 9 and 10, he explains that we enter God's rest by resting from our works. By resting from our works and trusting in His work alone. It's like God has prepared a beautiful lakefront retreat for us. The most ultimate thing you can imagine in your head. And He's given us the keys and He said, all you have to do is trust Me, just take Me at My word Believe that I really do have a place for you and and come on in and and enjoy it with me. The author wants us to see that we can enter into God's rest. So he's he's picking up on these types and these trajectories throughout Scripture and he he points to the rest that God mentions in Genesis and and Sabbath and then David and then he goes on again in verse 10. 
He says this rest remains. This seventh day kind of rest that God has prepared for his people, it looks like resting from your works. You know, when you're trying to achieve on your own, when you're trying to be good enough, when you're trying to meet with people's approval, when you're trying to just work hard enough so people will like you or not hate you, or you're trying to be impressive, you're trying to be good enough for God, you're trying to be good enough so you can feel good enough about yourself. You're trying to work hard at all these things. You're going to get discouraged. Why? Because you're going to eventually come to the place where you realize it's hopeless in of yourself. And so God says, I don't want you to be in a hopeless place. I want you to stop it. Stop resting in your own works. Instead, look to me. I've completed my works. Rest in my completed works. That's the place of rest we need to enter into. There were many times where rest was mentioned in the Old Testament. Genesis, and we we talked about that. Remember we mentioned Joshua or Yeshua in Hebrews. Taking them into promise land. None of these occasions saw God's people entering fully into a place of, of rest. David, who was God's anointed one. Think about these names. We're going to get to those in a minute. Yeshua, Jehovah saves. David was God's anointed one. There's some types here. And so he's bringing these types of rest. But none of those, none of those really fulfilled. But much later on, much later on, today, still, a man in Hebrew whose name also was Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, he was the Son of God. He came as God's true anointed one. He came and he perfectly fulfilled everything that we were called to do and we could never do. He perfectly kept God's law in every way. He was perfectly pleasing to God. He perfectly earned God's favor. He perfectly earned the righteousness of God. And he did all that on our behalf. And then in Matthew, here's what Yeshua, the true Yeshua, the true salvation, the truly anointed one, here's what he says to us. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What he's saying is, don't go anywhere else. Don't go to anybody else. Don't go to any other place. Come to me. All. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will. What a wonderful promise. I will give you rest. Whose rest? His rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And here's the wonderful promise in my Bible. It's in bold. It says, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls to each and every one of us today to come to him. All of us who are weary with life. All who are weary from looking to other things and trying so hard and and realizing it doesn't work. Everybody's trying to be good enough on their own. Jesus says, come to me. Stop going to all these other places. Come to me. And you will find rest for your weary souls. Come to me, heavy laden, weighed down by the burdens of life, weighed down by sin and guilt, weighed down by the evil in the world, all who are heavy laden, all who are trying to atone for their own sins. Jesus doesn't call us to a lot of duty. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. This rest that we're we're called to, it's not the ceasing of activity. We're quitting the Christian walk, but it's a trusting in Jesus' work alone. And we have to be on guard. We have to remind each other of that continually. Fear, unbelief. Why? Because it keeps us from this wonderful place of rest that he's prepared for our weary souls. It's a trusting in the fact that that what Jesus has done is completely sufficient. We can't add to it and we can't take away from what he's done for us. It's finding rest that that Jesus has taken away all of God's wrath. We know we deserve it. We feel like we still deserve it. Resting in God is saying, no, I trust it because he's taken God's wrath for me. I no longer deserve any of it, even though my conscience tells me otherwise. 
He's taken the burden of all my sins and guilt. He's taken my cares and promised to be with me every step of the way, to never leave me, never forsake me. I can rest in Him when circumstances tempt me to not do that. When my faith is tested. You know, faith is not in circumstances. You know, circumstances in life, they go up and down. It's like riding a roller coaster. But our faith is not on the roller coaster we're riding. Our faith is fixed on the sun. And that's a good thing because our circumstances, they'll change. Our faith, though, is in God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. That He has enabled us and empowered us by God the Holy Spirit. That we can enter into God's rest by trusting in Jesus and His righteousness alone. We can. We can because of Him. We trust that because of the righteousness of Christ, God is now for us and not against us. We feel like we're slipping away. We're not. He holds us. It's not us who hold Him. No matter what may come, no matter what storms rage, we can rest in God. I I love a little quote from a guy named Ligon Duncan. I like how he put it. He said, If your faith is focused on what's around you, just like Peter, you sink. He's referring to the that Jesus walked on water out to Peter, and Peter's like, Lord, let me come out to you. And so he goes out there, and he's seeing Jesus, and it's all good, and he walks on water. But then, when he looks at the circumstances, he sinks. So, Ligon's saying, if your faith is focused on what's around you, just like Peter, you sink. If your faith is focused on the Lord, you stay afloat, even among those circumstances. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the, the worship band to go ahead and come up. And as I do, we want to call all of us really to together to strive, to strive together. But we're not asking, I'm not appealing, we're not appealing to you for a works-oriented striving. Here's what we want you to strive to do. Here's what Scripture is calling you to strive to do. Strive together, take pains to stand firm in our faith that one day we're going to enter into His Sabbath rest so that we won't fall by the same sort of disobedience that the children of Israel did. And as we strive, let's do that knowing that it's God. Hebrews tells us later, will tell us later, that it's God who's at work in us, both to will, because sometimes we feel, we feel like willing. We don't, we don't feel like we have enough desire. But we trust that it's God who's at work in us, both to will and to do His good work for His good pleasure. And one day He's going to bring us into the eternal joyful Sabbath celebration, a never-ending place of rest that He Himself enjoys in heaven. Let's stand and we'll pray together.